how to help highly sensitive children manage their emotions. These might be children who have large empathy for others, who are deeply reflective or can be easily overstimulated or overwhelmed. Our guest is the clinical psychologist Jackie Maguire, who's the author of the children's book When the Wind Blew. Morena, Jackie, welcome to Nine to Noon. Morena, Catherine. Plenty of questions have come in for you, but can you set out for us, first of all, describe for us perhaps the markers of highly sensitive children? Sure. Highly sensitive children make up about 20% of the population and they're children that have got a very reactive nervous system, meaning they're very aware of what's going on internally with them, what's going on with others in terms of other people's moods and their environment. And they're seen to be fast reactors. Um, So if you kind of break, break the four signs down, the first, Catherine, would be that they are deep processes. So you know, highly sensitive children um, are very curious. They think very deeply about things. They might ask lots of questions of their parents. They're often very, very clever and very funny. Um, they can be quite perfectionistic uh, in, in their traits. And they can be more fearful because they are, you know, thinking deeply about the risks attached to things. So, you know, that's our first category of signs. Secondly, they are overstimulated easily. So due to their high awareness of what's going on internally and externally around them, um, it's things like they might, you know, be very bothered by sudden noises. So you might have a child that jumps often. They might be, you know, sensitive to the texture of their clothing or seams and socks or, you know, wanting to get out of sandy wet clothes very easily. They might be highly sensitive to pain. They might reduce food that have strong odours um, you know or, or certain textures and they may be children that at times prefer to play alone quietly. Um, the third sign is that they are emotionally reactive and they are very empathetic. So these might might be children that are seen to be wise beyond their years. They're those that can pick up the very subtle nuances um, in adults and other children around them in terms of their mood. Um, they do feel deeply, they notice distress around them. Um, in terms of how they might respond to parental correction, these are kids because of their deep feeling that if you, um, you know, if you punish or tell them off or try and give them consequences consequences in quite a harsh way uh, the, 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 um, the guilt and the shame that they feel can be pretty heightened and so they're children that respond better to gentle correction rather than quite forceful or direct uh, correction. And lastly, Catherine, they are very aware of subtle changes in the environment. So, you know, they will they will notice if somebody has, you know, if an adult's had a haircut, they'll be the first to notice. If there's a different smell going on in their house, they'll pick it up. Um, and, and when you think about, I'm, I'm so aware of those slight shifts and changes, they're often children that have a real need for control. So, you know, they'll tell everyone where they need to sit at the table. They won't go to bed unless there's a certain pillow on the bed, etc. So listen to that some people may say well what's the difference between my average (laughs) normal child and those of a highly sensitive child and and I think that comes down to the pervasiveness of those signs the consistency in it so you know if some kids are tired or they're hangry you might see some of those signs at times but for the highly sensitive child they're a pretty consistent pattern of behavior just to be clear 20% of children you say are we talking personality traits temperament traits we're not talking Correct. about this as a disorder of some sort it is simply no, the way they are 
it's it's the way they're neurologically wired, Catherine. And mm. so, you know, the hard thing is, is these children are often misunderstood. They're often labelled as shy or introverted, introverted or difficult or hard work because, you know, they might have tantrums easily if they're overwhelmed or they might be your child that is the life of the party at home, but you transition them into a party or you try and take them to daycare or, you know, they're in a social situation and they completely withdraw. Um, and for parents at times, that can be really, frustrating if you're not understanding why that's happening if you're seeing these large reactions if your child is very different in, in, in certain circumstances but if you can look through a lens of imagine a child's brain that is bombarded with information um, and that they are deeply processing all of that information there's a lot going on in that kid's head and so if we can look at it that way they're not being naughty they're not purposefully trying to get on our nerves or you know for example often these children take a long time to get dressed or wind down at the end of the day because they, you know, they are adapting and shifting to those large sensory inputs. Now, if we can have the understanding of why they're doing that, that's that's helpful. I mean, the giveaway is the reference to the nervous system, and we're all too familiar with our nervous systems at the moment and fight or flight, and and the scanning of the environment and the noticing of everything. These are just they're highly attuned in many ways, aren't they? Highly sensitive, but but highly attuned. All right, so. Absolutely. So what are the particular needs of this group of children? You've touched on some of them, but what are the practicalities of getting through day-to-day life that makes things a little bit easier for them rather than the other way? Sure. So I'm going to do the general, how we help them, and then maybe we can do if they're having a meltdown, because let's separate those two out. But I think from a general day-to-day basis, Catherine, it's really useful to, for example, plan ahead with these kids. If you know your child gets overwhelmed when they're going into a new setting or they're going somewhere where there it will be noisy and there will be lots of people, talk to them about that first. You know, when you know, I think from probably the age of two and up, you can have age-appropriate conversations of helping your kid have an understanding of the environment they're going into and asking them or planning with them what they need to help them in that situation. I also think then if you go somewhere like that and your child withdraws, they want to stick by your side, you know, part of that is is giving them time, not trying to rush those children. I think when we try and rush kids that are highly sensitive, it amplifies their distress. So being aware as parents that we really need to adjust our expectations and plan and plan for that. And I understand it can be frustrating at, at times, but I think if we've got that knowledge and build in the buffers, it's helpful. I think we need to, um, for parents with highly sensitive children, have very clear unwinding times during the day. So, you know, if you think I've got a child that, you know, is overloaded with sensory input, they're going to find transitions hard. And that might be transitions from dinner to bath or bath to bed or school to home. So not, you know, jam-packing kids' schedules, but having time where they can, unwind, you know, wind down, whether it's reading books or doing art or, you know, you know, having having story time or doing something that's quiet in between those transitions. They're children, Catherine, that need very clear, um, clear communication and consistency. So, you know, if they're children that have a sense of, you know, needing control or needing to know what's coming up for them, if we can try and build in as much consistency uh, in our days, then that is very helpful. And I think lastly, you know, for parents, 
it's trying to resist the urge, Catherine, to, you know, label your child as difficult or, you know, shy and not coping or full on or, you know, when you're overwhelmed as parents yourselves, you know, it can be tough. But actually, this isn't children being difficult or shy or, you know, impulsive. This is the way their bodies operate. You mentioned pick your battles. This means it's not a case of getting away with everything. It's not a free pass to life, right? But it means, um, you know, you don't sweat the small stuff, perhaps. Could you explain that a little bit more? Sure. And I think there's a difference between compromise and accommodation. In compromises, we come to a negotiation. And accommodation is you can can have what you want. And I suppose it's thinking about what's the short-term wins here versus the long-terms. And if you think about children that may you know, shut down if they feel shame or guilt or they shut down if they're overwhelmed, Um, you know, then in a long-term sense, we never want our children unable to come and talk to us or share what's going on for them. So, I don't know, I I look at these signs, Catherine, and I have, I think, a highly sensitive child in many ways. And if I look at my battles, for example, it may be that she throws a complete tantrum because she wants the blue plate rather than the red plate. And I've served dinner on the red plate. And yes, for a a toddler, that that might be a general sign, but I would get those types of battles all day, every day, you know? And I might think in that moment, hey, hang on, who's boss I'm the parent no you can't just and I've already plated your dinner and so that's what you're going to have and in that sense you know I could be rigid and I could hold hold the line but I suppose it's going what's the benefit of that actually you know having a sense of agency and autonomy is important in our children I want her to eat her dinner um you know and, and that's a small thing that I can negotiate with her on. It doesn't mean that she gets away all the time, but but right now, actually, let's just sit down and eat our dinner and and that's an easy call. You know, on the other hand, a child that perhaps won't go to bed consistently at night, you know, as a parent, your children need sleep and you know that. So that's non-negotiable. But then how I suppose you set that up with your child might be something that you help you know, that you negotiate on. So, oh, you know, actually you can wear those certain pyjamas or you can have that certain pillowcase and, yeah, that's something that I'm going to give in on, you know. But going to bed at 7.30, that's not negotiable. Understood. Just finally on that point, uh, is this likely to be, you know, a, a lifelong trait? And if so, are there certain life stages with your child where you're really going to have to remind yourself <laughs> of this? I I think it is a lifelong personality. I'm probably a highly sensitive person, Catherine, when I look at this in lots of ways. You know, I'm an empath. That's why I'm a psychologist, probably. Um, But I think our our role as parents is to support our children to um, understand their emotions um, and and to help give them processes to manage them. You know, that's our role, to give them scaffold to to navigate the world. And I think to not look at it through a negative lens always. You know, you're talking about kids that are probably highly intelligent, highly creative and innovative. You know, they've got an amazing ability to connect with people. That's their strengths and we want to remind them of those. But I suppose the scaffolding is, you know, can you help build your child's emotional literacy? Because we know that when you can name what emotions you're feeling, that helps regulate them. It dials them down. So with children, you know, that's helping going, I can See, you're really upset because you're tearful and your shoulders are, are drooped and you've kind of gone and curled yourself up in the corner. Mummy can tell that you're upset, you know, and so it's been able to give language to their experiences that are helpful. I think as parents too, it's about 
you know, avoiding minimizing feelings. You know, how often do we go, oh, come on, don't feel like that, or you'll be all right, or actually you're going to enjoy it when you get there. And, you know, lots of times as parents, we're coming from a good place, Catherine, when we do that. But actually for the highly sensitive child, they need time to process that emotion that they are feeling deeply. And so I think it's acknowledging and validating that, but also giving those kids space. So, you know, I, I think sometimes I see parents with their children that are, they're doing the validation, they're doing the naming, but they're like two in the kid's face with it. Like, I can so see you're upset. What do you need? Do you need a cuddle? And they go over and over and over, you know, the validating and the acknowledging. And whilst they're important skills, think of your child who's already bombarded or experiencing some heightened uh, internal sensation going on. And what they need, I think, is, is acknowledge it once, but then give them space, you know, be present in there but quiet around them. And so, you know, for example, in our house, my two and a half year old can say to me now, mum, I need some space. You know, it's the running joke in our house between my husband and I, but we've taught them that, you know, I'm here, I can see you're really upset. Let me know when you need me, you know, or, you know, when you're feeling okay, then we'll have a conversation. But that ability to be quiet, a quiet presence once you've acknowledged is important because you're allowing the child to process and then when they're calm, then you can problem solve, then you can look to the future, then you can talk about how you might do things differently next time. But trying to have that conversation when a kid is in their red brain, you know, when they are flooded uh, with big emotions is unhelpful. So I think sometimes that can be quite useful for parents to understand that actually being a quiet presence once you've acknowledged is, is powerfully comforting for your child. Okay. There are lots of questions, Jackie, so we're going to have to... Um, try and whip through them as quick as we can. I must say, I think what you've just outlined for us probably provides a lot of the answers to a lot of these people. But let me just see if I can get a a, a selection here. Uh, here's an interesting one. Our 11-year-old son is very sensitive, currently obsessed that the older of our two cats should go to the vet for a checkup. The cat is fine, but maybe we do just do the, the vet visit? <laughs> That's a hard one, isn't it? Because, you know, one, I think, you know, acknowledge the worry that the child is having. At 11, I think I'd be asking, what's making you so worried? You know, why are you concerned about the cat? And I'd be trying to have a curious and inquisitive conversation um, with them because I imagine for those parents, if they're hearing that five or six times a day, it's easy to uh, dismiss that, right? When you know the cat's fine and, and you're short on time, etc. You know, once you've had that conversation, you've heard the understanding, then I think you can do the reassurance. And probably as a parent, that might be one thing I negotiate on them. I think they're okay, but yep, we can go once. You know, if, you, if you're worried about it, let's go and get the, the cat checked out. But I would be boundaring that to once because we don't want to form a, a habit or a pattern of reassurance checking, which is what keeps anxiety high. Um, so, you know, if you can't work out what's the cause of the distress or worry, if you've had good, calm conversations, you know, maybe you negotiate. Yeah, on that, on that, as a as a once off, okay. Catherine. But after that, I'd be holding that line off. We've been to the vet. We know the cat's okay. What do you need to do to feel calm? Would you like to go and give the cat a cuddle, knowing that oxytocin will be released and that helps calm the anxiety? Okay, my six-year-old boy is overly sensitive but chooses to try to be staunch instead of talking about it. He gets angry when we try to discuss things. Any advice? Yeah, and, and I think that's, again, not trying to push it or force it on children. So, again, I think the labelling as a once-off is, is okay, and you can do that in a non-confrontational -confront way. 
you know, I can see you're really upset. I can see you're distressed. You know, we're here if you if we need you. And I suppose that's what kids need, Catherine. They need to know their parents have got their backs. Um, you know, if something is very troubling for your child and you can see that, you know, perhaps you try and have a conversation again in a non-confrontational way when you're in the car, you know, or you're out walking or riding bikes next to each other, etc. Um, and you may offer suggestions that, you know, will help calm them down. Um, but I suppose providing the dialogue that emotions are okay, we're okay to talk about them here, you know, we're always here if you need us, you know, that is a really powerful message to your, to your child that you know, they can express and they can be okay acknowledging their feelings. But I think if we keep pushing as parents, that can often um, make children feel backed into a corner um, and then they can shut down when we don't want to go there. Thanks for all your questions. This is, I'm trying to pick ones that I don't feel Jackie's probably already completely answered. I think in some of these questions, she's probably got you there with our general conversation. This one... Um, this one's actually a little similar to the cat, only it's a bit more drastic. It's it's the brother he's worried about. My son seems to be very sensitive and is a real worrier. He's worried his brother is going to stop breathing in his sleep and he lies awake at night listening to his brother's breathing to check he's still alive. He has trouble sleeping mm. because of this. Should I be worried? Can you suggest help? Yeah, well, that, that's hard, right? And I suppose my guideline always is, in terms of how much intervention you put in, is how much chaos is this causing for your young person's life. And if they're, they're not sleeping, that's a really big disruption. That has got big flow-on effects. So I think, you know, you can do the strategies yourself that you know are useful, talking with them, validating, trying to help them to get to sleep, etc. But if this is ongoing and it's really disruptive, it's at that point, I think, that I would be going, what extra support do I need? You know, is there a psychologist? Is there someone that may be able to help us with this to manage the anxiety? anxiety and worry um, because it's not necessarily the highly sensitive nature there that's causing it that might be a flow-on of worry and anxiety that's causing the disruption and then some targeted strategies could be useful how do we help children whose empathy fluctuates wildly from very concerned for others at one time to being very self-centered and hurtful to others only hours even minutes later well again i'd say self-centered you know, is, is probably not what's going on for that child. That's an adult label that we're putting onto it. And I suppose my, I'd want to know as a psychologist, what's the difference in the context? You know, is it that the child's overwhelmed? Is it that they're hungry and tired? Is it that they're peopled out? Like highly sensitive children get peopled out. They need downtime. Have they had that ability to decompress um, and, and to recover? And so I think that's part of our pre-planning as parents is going, actually probably by nature that child is loving and generous if you see that behavior um, and how do we protect that for them we need to put in the structures in order for them to get the time they need uh, to stay calm to stay kind to stay you know being able to connect with others so I think trying to avoid those you know those labels is helpful and then getting very clear on what triggers the you know, less than pleasant behaviour that you see and trying to plan around that. Now, of course, oh, you sorry. can correct your... You know, sorry, I'm just going to say, Catherine, of course you can have corrective conversations with them, you know, about that's not okay and that's not how we act, etc. But I suppose the feedback in the literature around this is choose how you provide those learnings and that feedback. You know, if you come down hard on them, if you say you absolutely can't do that, etc., as we all do as parents, we get frustrated, we get to the end of our tether, likelihood is with a highly sensitive child, they just will shut down, um, you know, and potentially they then can hide things from you in the future or not share. And so, you know, being calm in your feedback is important.
We'll try and sneak one, maybe two more in if we can do them quickly. And I know you're coming back, Jackie. Listeners, I'm going to keep one or two of these questions because they're slightly different topics, but I think they'll be great to discuss next time. Uh, Here's one. My five-year-old daughter is funny about being praised. Sometimes she can get very annoyed about being praised. Seems very self-conscious. What to do, please? Well, you know, I think that's, that's trying to work out the recipe for what works with your child because, you know, being able to acknowledge and celebrate is really important. But are they, you know, overwhelmed by um, embarrassment or they don't like to be in the spotlight or, you know, are they feeling those feelings largely? And so I, I always come down to the five, the five love languages when it comes to giving, you know, positive reinforcement. What is it that works for your child? You know, are they a words person? Are they old enough that, you know, you can write a note and leave it on their pillow about how proud you were of them that day? And, you know, does that have the same effect as the public recognition, but it avoids, you know, it avoids their embarrassment or that feeling of being in the in the spotlight? Are they a hugger? Would they rather go and have date time with you and acknowledgement for the good things that they're doing? So, you know, if you go through those five love languages, uh, Catherine, it's, you know, touch and the cuddles and the special time, et cetera. It's gifts, it's words. Um, it's acts of service, doing nice things for them. And what have I missed out? Acts, <laughs> acts of service, gifts, time, hugs. And now I've gone blank and I can't remember the last one, but we'll write it on the website. <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, look, I think we'll leave it, uh, let it go there. Uh, there are some other questions that we might be able to pick up in your next segment. Um, but thank you so much for all that time, Jackie. Much appreciated. Pleasure. Thanks, Catherine. Uh, clinical psychologist Jackie Maguire is the author of the children's book When the Wind Blew.